you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. It's good to be with you this morning. If you got a copy of God's Word, I invite you to pick it up, grab it, open it, Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you realize now that this year we've been in the book of Ephesians, okay? If you haven't figured that out yet, you haven't been paying attention very well. Okay, Jerry Stamps? Yeah, I see, we still remember that there was one time you didn't remember we, we, we were in Luke for three years. So, all right, there's a quiz next week, what book of the Bible we're in, okay? And I'm going to call you out on that from Cross Church, all right? My name is Jeremy Winters. I serve as the campus pastor over at Cross Church, and it's always good to be back here. Uh, don't tell the other services. The 930 service is my favorite service at this campus, okay? Because... This is the one that I went to when I was on staff as the missions guy over here primarily at this campus. And so I love you guys. I'm I'm glad to be back uh, here this morning. Ephesians chapter four is where we're at, okay? I'm gonna try to paraphrase and summarize all of chapters one through three real quick so we know where we are. Ephesians chapters one through three is all about your position in Christ. How your position has changed, that you've gone from being a stranger in the land outside of the family of God and because of the immeasurable riches of God's grace by him sending his son Christ to to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to, 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 to sacrificially atone for your sins, that by placing your faith in him, repenting of your sin, you are now in the family of God. Okay, and that is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And that's what Paul is writing about through Ephesians chapters one through three, that you now, by repenting of your sin, placing your faith in Christ, you are now in the family of God. It's a one-time fee, lifetime membership, okay? You can't lose it, your position doesn't change. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing that you can do to, to, to lose it at any point. And so that's a wonderful thing. In chapter four, he switches from our position in Christ to our condition. Okay, now our condition can change somewhat. The way our lives reflect our position in Christ can change based on the way we live our lives, uh, the, the way we grow into maturity or don't grow into maturity. Okay, and that's really what, what Paul is writing here in Ephesians chapter four. And, and you remember from a couple of weeks back now, he begins in verse one, he says, therefore, basically based on everything I've talked about so far in, in these first three chapters, this letter, right? The last 25 weeks of sermons that we've been preaching here uh, at our church, based on everything that you've come to understand based on that, God's immeasurable riches of grace to to, to save you through Christ. Based on that, your new position in Christ, Paul says, I now ask that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, of that great salvation uh, that has been secured on your behalf, okay? And then, so he's gonna spend the next three chapters, the rest of Ephesians kind of laying out what that means. What does it look like uh, to, to grow in maturity in Christ? for our lives to reflect our position in the family of God. And hopefully we're reflecting that that, that family name very, very well, okay? And so he goes on the next couple of verses and it's all about the unity in the body, okay? That we would be kind to one another, patient with one another, humble with one another. In Texas terms, put up with each other, right? That's what he's talking about here in Ephesians, verses two through six, right? That we would put up with each other well in the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace, okay? And now we get to our passage this morning, okay? Verse seven and verses 11 through 12. We're really gonna focus on verses 11 through 12 here, okay? But I wanna read verse seven because it ties in very nicely. Chapter four, verse seven says this. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, 
right? And then verse five says that Jesus, when he comes, uh, he's, he's led a host of captives and he, he gives, he gave gifts to men. In verse 11, he says this, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ till we all attain the unity of the faith. So I want you to notice, let's, let's just pause for a second. I want you to just look at the first three words of verse 11, okay? Because there's a lot to unpack. I know that as we start reading the Bible and we start reading scripture, we get distracted a lot of times with big words or, or you know, the hidden meaning of what Paul's go, saying here. And in verses 11 and 12, it's really just plain surface. Uh, you don't have to read too much into it to understand, but I don't want us to miss those first three words. Those first three words in verse 11, what are they? And he gave, okay? So let's talk about this for a second. Who's doing the giving here? God, right? Christ uh, really is the one who we're talking about. Christ is the one who's giving something, okay? So think about who that is. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the one who was there at, at the beginning of creation, that all things were created for him and through him and by him. The one who, who, who clothed himself in humanity, lived a perfect life, right? Died on the cross, resurrected himself to life and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. That Jesus has given a wonderful gift. Who's he given it to? To the church, right? Verse seven, that these, these gifts have been distributed to each of us. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesians, right? This is to the church. So Christ is giving this, this wonderful gift to the church to the body of Christ, as Revelation calls it, the bride of Christ, right? You and I are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, that we are the church. And, and, and so Christ has given this wonderful gift. And I want you to see what, what this gift is. Really, Paul, gives, Paul says that, that Christ gives the church two gifts here, okay? The first one is that he gives leaders as a gift to the church. I want you to look at the, the next few words. What does it say? And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. It says that Christ gave leaders to the church as a gift. Now, I don't know about you, but I love gifts. How many of you love gifts? How many of you love receiving gifts? Oh, it's June, but I'm already counting down to Christmas, right? I've already got my list halfway done of what I want, uh, those kind of things. Yes, I'm also making a list of things that I can give to other people. Don't worry, okay? I know it's reciprocal here. And I, I distinctly remember as a kid, the greatest Christmas present I ever received was a lightsaber, right? How many of you to this day still have a lightsaber in your home? I do, I've got several. When I started having children, I intentionally bought a lightsaber for each of them, that when they come into manhood and womanhood, I would bestow upon them a lightsaber. I'm half kidding there, right? Greatest gift I ever got as a kid and that I remember. But something, something unusual happened a little bit later on. As I, as I became a teenager, I distinctly remember that the gifts that we were given as kids by our parents on Christmas started to change. And you may have as well, right? It started to go from like fun things like N64 games. I know you don't know what that is. That's okay. Right? Nintendo 64 games, uh, uh, Sega games, uh, uh, lightsabers and those kind of things. So to really practical gifts that I would call boring as a teenager, right? I distinctly remember the year that we got luggage, right? I, I got my first suitcase as a teenager, right? Now as a teenager, that's a terrible gift. Like, I, I don't want that. That's, that hasn't been on my Christmas list all year. I haven't been dropping those hints, but it's something that I, as a person growing into maturity, desperately need. The next time we're going on a family vacation, 
I need a suitcase. When I go off to college, I need a suitcase. As a grown man taking my own vacations and trips, I need a suitcase. And so what they were doing was preparing me for adulthood with those wonderfully needed and boring gifts, okay, right? Uh, okay, that's kind of what Paul's getting at here in some ways, right? He says the first gift, that, that one of the gifts that Christ gives the church is leaders, and they are a gift to the church. And he gives four examples of these, okay? I don't think this is an exhaustive list by any means, but he gives us kind of four practical examples, okay? So what are they? He says he gave the apostles, right? Who are the apostles? Wow, okay, let's try this again. Who are the apostles? All right, okay, so they started out as disciples, right? And then after Jesus died, they kind of, we, we start calling them the apostles. But really what they are, they, they're, 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 they're individuals who have been called by God himself for a specific task, right? And so you see the life of Peter, that God calls him, says, hey, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. Hey, Peter, based on you, on, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not uh, stand against it, right? That, that he set up to, to extend the kingdom of God to the Jewish people, right? He does the same thing with Saul that we now call Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus himself calls him to a specific task. He calls him to Jesus, but he also calls him to a task to send the gospel to the Gentiles. And so that's what an apostle is. It's one who's called by God himself for a specific task, okay? So, so Christ has given the church Apostles, and they're a gift. They're a wonderful gift to help lead the church. It also says what? The apostles and the? Right? Okay, I'm hoping that this is the easiest test you have to take. This is open book notes, right? It's right in front of you, okay? All right, so the, the apostles and the prophets. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet is not, hear me, the, the prophet is not a person who rolls into town and says, I will predict the future. Let me get my crystal ball out, my tarot cards, uh, and I'm going to reveal to you what's going to happen in the next five years of your life. Okay, that's, that's not what a prophet is in Scripture. When you look at the Old Testament, when you look at the New Testament, a prophet is one who God opens their eyes to see something that needs to be corrected in the life of God's people. One of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament is Nathan. He had the worst job possible, okay? If you know the story of Nathan, he's the prophet who had to approach King David after he had an affair with Bathsheba and killed off her husband and all those things, right? Fun story, go check that one out. Nathan is the one who God calls and tells him, hey, you need to approach King David and tell them that there's something in his life that needs correcting. How many of you would want that job? Oh, come on, some of you know you do. Some of you are do basically doing that right now, right? That you like to go and call out sin people's life, uh, right? But that, that is the role of the prophet. His job was, his eyes were opened by God to see something that needed to be corrected in the life of God's people, and that God gave him the voice and the words to say it to the people. Almost all the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, uh, uh, all the, the, the prophets in the Old Testament, basically their message is to Jerusalem, to, to Israel and Judah, hey, if you don't stop what you're doing right now, following in a life of idolatry and not being a light to the nations, this is what's going to happen. You're gonna be sent into captivity and exile. Their job was to be a mouthpiece to God, to show the people of God what was going wrong, something that needed to be corrected, and that's desperately needed in the life of the church. What's the third thing? We got, a, we got apostles, we got prophets, off to a good start. Evangelists. Evangelists, oh, this is my favorite, all right? I have grown up my entire life as a Southern Baptist, okay? This is the only world I know, uh, um, for the most part, right? 
And so I've grown up in Southern, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. I remember like old school revivals, bring in the evangelists from outside of town. Let's rally the troops, go knock on doors. He'd preach the gospel and hopefully the whole city comes to revival, right? On this one week in March during spring break when everybody else is gone, right? That's kind of, <laughs> it's not really what evangelist is talking about in the New Testament, right? When you start to look at evangelists and who is fulfilling this role in the life of the New Testament, what it is is somebody who has the ability to cross cultural barriers, share the gospel well, and to start and establish churches, right? It's a missionary. That's really what the role of evangelist is. It's somebody who has the ability to, to go talk to somebody who doesn't look like them, maybe learn a language that they don't know, uh, uh, to tear down walls and barriers to the gospel and build bridges across them so that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ, okay? What's the fourth thing? We've got apostles, we've got prophets, we've got missionaries. Shepherds, you're half right, okay? I want you to know you're half right. What I mean by that is shepherds and teachers here go together. It's shepherds, if you look at the Rizalite, it's literally shepherds who teach, okay? Shepherds who are able to teach. So in the life of our church, right? Uh, uh, somebody fulfilling this role would be somebody who's able to shepherd the people of God and be able to teach well, right? So we've got a lot of people who are great teachers and gifted at it, but they can't shepherd people worth squat. That is not necessarily what this is particularly is talking about. We've got a lot of great people in, in ministry and those kind of things who can shepherd people well through really hard times, pastoral care, but man, they cannot teach the Bible well at all. That's not really what this specifically is talking about, right? Okay, so this is shepherds who are able to teach. Uh, I like how Chris uh, Osborne, our teaching pastor, kind of put this, right? That when we go to do it, when uh, a funeral happens in the life of our church, it's kind of the responsibility of the minister, the, the shepherd who's able to teach, to, to, to pull out the scriptures of truth that that family needs at the time, and then to shepherd them through that process of grief, uh, of comforting in the midst of that. And, and both of those are needed and both of those are required. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Paul's saying, Christ has given leaders, ministers to the church, and this is a wonderful gift of God. That means Scott Mays is a gift to this church. That means Danny Roberts is a gift to this church. That means Stu Pendus, Stuart Doyle, Pendle. <sighs> Anyways, is a gift to this church. That means that Karen Crow is a gift to this church. That means Deanne Laywell, Jody Hayes, everybody on staff is a gift to this church. And this isn't a white elephant gift exchange. You don't get to take one that you don't really like and don't agree with and go trade with another church down the street. There's no swapping. There's no take backs. There's no gift receipts, right? Ministers of the church are leaders of the church that Christ has given to the church at that particular time for a particular reason, Okay. And Paul describes this as a gift to the church given by Christ. Let me ask this, why does he give those leaders? Why does he give those ministers? Why does he give those shepherd teachers to the church? What's the very next thing he says beginning in verse 12? He says to equip the saints. Who are the saints? Correct. If you have repented of sin, placed your faith in Christ, been indwelt with the Holy Spirit, 
You are a saint. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you perform three miracles. That doesn't mean people pray to you. If that's happening, please stop, right? It, it, it simply means that you have been redeemed, that you are a part of the family of God, that you are now wholly set apart based on what Christ has done in your life. And so what he's saying is that ministers, leaders of the church have been given to the church to equip the saints, to equip you. Does anybody have a different word or translation there than equip? Prepare. Oh, I like that one. Anything else? Perfect. Perfecting. Yeah, okay. Same, same. Yeah, okay. Same, same. So preparing or perfecting, right? This is a really hard word to get at because it's really only used one time here. So we kind of have to take some bits and other pieces. But the basic meaning is, yeah, to bring somebody along to completion, to bring somebody along to perfection by training or repairing them, okay? How many of you are parents in the room? How many of you have had parents? That usually gets everybody. Okay, good job. <laughs> if a parent is doing their job well, they have certain responsibilities for their children, okay? Their jobs are to, to provide for them, basic needs and necessities, love, affection, to protect them, but more importantly, to prepare them, that they would be self-sufficient self-sustaining, independent adults. I know you don't like that, but that's, that's what's happening and supposed to happen, okay? So if you're a parent who loves your children, that's, that's what you're trying to do. That's the goal you're trying to accomplish is to prepare them as best you can into maturity, to bring them along to perfection and completion of, uh, 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 of adulthood. And that's really what this word means. Sometimes you do that through training. Sometimes we have to teach people things, right? Sometimes a drill instructor uh, uh, has to, to take a, a, a group of new recruits through basic training so that they're ready to go into battle because they're not ready until then. Sometimes it involves training, but sometimes it also involves repairing. Literally, sometimes this word uh, uh, can kind of mean like the mending of a broken bone or the mending of a net that has a hole in it, okay? I love basketball so much. And the playoffs this year, let's just be honest, have been a disappointment, okay? First of all, because the Mavs are out. Let's go Mavs. Uh, second of all, because there are so many injuries in the NBA right now. I mean, it's just atrocious. It's bad. It's bad for basketball. It's bad for everybody. So if you don't know it right now, the Phoenix Suns are actually good. That happens once every 20 years, okay? They're playing the LA Clippers. That this is the first in their lifetime that they've been good, right? And they're playing in, in kind of the final four, and the best player for the Clippers, who's one of the top three players in the NBA, is out with an injury, sitting on the sideline with a busted knee. Now, Kawhi Leonard, who's this individual who's hurt, he is not effective for his team by sitting on the sidelines, is he? No, he's one of the best players in the world. They're counting on him. They desperately need him to function as well as a team, to, to score and to play defense and to rebound and all these wonderful things. But he can't do that because he's got a busted knee. What he needs is a team doctor to come in, perform an x-ray on his knee, tell him, hey, here's what you got to do in two weeks and you'll be back out there, maybe a little cortisone shot in the knee. I don't know what they do, okay? I'll be honest, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what they do, but what he needs is somebody to come along and mend his knee so that he's able to get back out on the court to participate with his team and to be effective with them. What this means, what Paul's getting at, is my job as a minister, Scott Mays' job and responsibility as the pastor of the church, Stuart Pendle's uh, job and responsibility as a church, as a minister at this church, 
Our job is to bring you along to completion, to maturity in the faith. Sometimes that means training you. Sometimes that means helping repair brokenness in your lives. And if we're not doing those things, then then we're not doing what Paul is laying out here, equipping you to be effective for the kingdom of God and to help Christ fill all things. Now, so Paul says, all right, two things, right? Two gifts to the church. First is the leaders who are there to help equip, to bring you along into completion, right? And the second thing is, is is really that every believer, if you are a believer in Christ, that you have a spiritual gift. And by using and utilizing that spiritual gift, it allows you to do the work of ministry, right? We're supposed to train you to repair brokenness, those kind of things, so that you are able to do the ongoing hard work of serving. Doesn't that sound exciting? Now, I want you to notice what he's saying here. He doesn't say, hey, and the pastors, the teachers, the ministers of the church, they do all the work, okay? My job is not to do all the praying in the church. My job, responsibility as as a pastor and a shepherd who's responsible for you is not to do all the evangelism in the church. My responsibility is not to necessarily do all the teaching in the church. My responsibility is not necessarily to make all the decisions in the church. My responsibility is not to do everything in the life of the church. My job is to repair and to train you, to bring you along, to equip you to service so that we do it together. So that Kawhi Leonard is out on the court with me. Hey, I'm no Kawhi Leonard, I'm Patrick Beverly, all right? I'm there for defense. Some dirty plays every now and then. But we need the whole team functioning together. And you must be equipped, trained to identify your spiritual gift and to use it effectively. Now, what are spiritual gifts? I want you to write down 1 Corinthians, okay? I want you to just go read the whole book on your own time. Specifically, chapter 7, he mentioned there's, there that there's gifts, uh, right, to believers. One is marriage and one is celibacy, all right? We, we tend to forget these on the list of spiritual gifts. We tend to overlook uh, chapter 7, verse 7. Chapter 12, we get this big, long exposition of spiritual gifts that there's knowledge and wisdom and discernment and languages and teaching and serving. And at First Peter, you get some more about words and actions, and there's these really long lists of spiritual gifts, and they're not exhaustive by any means. How do I know this? Because have you ever noticed that there's no, like, worship person on that list? But any of the spiritual gifts list, there's nobody that was like, hey, you're really good at instruments, or you're really good at singing, or leading a choir, or any of those kind of things. And if you don't think that that's a spiritual gift, I challenge you next week to sit next to Scott Mays during the worship portion, all right? He will tell you this, his gifting is to be up here preaching and teaching, not to lead the singing. So we're thankful for like Danny Coates and Christian O'Hara, amen, right? These wonderful people who can, who can sing and who can lead us in those things because we need their giftings and their abilities to help lead the church, to unify the church around these wonderful things, okay? So how do you know what your spiritual gift is? I wanna give you four things real quick, okay, to help you identify that. First is to pray. I know it sounds like the Sunday school answer, and there's a reason for that. This is basic, right? That you would pray to God to help reveal what your spiritual gift is. Listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you are given at least one spiritual gift given by Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be used for the church. 
It's your job to help identify that and to use it. It's my job to help you identify that and to use it, okay? So pray about it. And might I also add, don't just pray, hey, Lord, I'd really love to be the lead singer on the worship team, all right? <laughs> that may not be the best prayer for anybody, okay? But maybe the prayer should be, hey, Lord, I, I see this, this vacancy in the life of the church where somebody needs to step up and lead there. God, I pray that you would re- reveal the right person for that, whether it's me or not. Because that is a prayer not based on pride, but based on love and service for the church. Okay, so first pray. Second, self-examine. Do a little self-examination, okay? Hopefully you're able to kind of identify some things that you're good at in life. Things that you're passionate about, enthusiastic about. Uh, uh, Things that people have kind of affirmed in your life, have pulled you aside and said, man, I really love this. You're so gifted and talented at this. Something that maybe comes easy to you where it doesn't come easy to everybody else. The third thing would be uh, to seek discernment from other believers. Man, wouldn't it be amazing if in the life of our church, rather than, and I'm not saying this is here, I'm just overly generalizing, okay, that we don't go around criticizing people or talking about people behind their back of what's going on in their life, but say we would walk up to people in love and humility and faithfulness and say, man, I see this in your life. You're really good at this. I feel like the Lord has empowered you for this act of service. What if we encouraged each other that way? Rely on other people in your life, your Bible fellowship group leaders, your directors, whoever's leading your classes, uh, some of the ministers on staff to help you kind of identify those and speak some truth into that, okay? The fourth thing, tryouts. Yeah, try some different things out. If you still don't know after those things, it's helpful to try a couple things out. You may find out that you're really good at being a greeter or an usher. And that's one of the most important things in the life of the church. Especially maybe somebody who's never stepped into a church before in 20 years, they need a bright, smiling face. Listen, I'm going to get off on a tangent here. If you have a perpetual frown on your face, don't ever ever serve as a greeter in the life of the church. That's not good for you. That's not good for us. That's not good for anybody coming in, okay? While we're here, if you can't sing, you know where I'm going with that, all right? There's probably a different area in the life of the church that you're able and equipped to serve. Remember, every believer gets at least one. And these are given by Christ. That means it's not an accident. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is something affirmed in your life, something that you've been created specifically for to help serve in the life of the church, okay? I honestly want you, don't be jealous of other people's gifts. Just because somebody maybe has a flashier in your mind gifting than you, standing on a platform in front of people, rather than serving behind the scenes, it doesn't make it any more or less important. It it makes it how God has created you, okay? I love the movie Harry Potter. Oh, it's so good. Yes, I'm talking about Harry Potter in a sermon in the Southern Baptist Church. If you can voice your comments and complaints to Scott Mays, um, it'd be great. In the first movie, I love there's a scene where uh, little Harry Potter goes and uh, he goes into Olivan's and gets his first wand. Oh, it's a lovely scene, right? And they, you have to try out your wands in this wonderful, fictitious story, right? So he tries out the first one and like, <clears throat> nothing happens. 
right? And just, he tries to get, nothing happens. Okay, so the guy goes back and he gets a different wand and he tries it out and he picks it up and he extends that wand and like everything blows off the shelves. There's like this huge explosion. He's like, oh, no, 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 that's the wrong one. That's the wrong one. So he puts it up and goes back and tries out another one and he tries, oh, that one works perfectly, right? Listen, other believers in the life of the church can tell when you're serving in an area that you're not necessarily gifted in because you might be ineffective or blowing things up. <laughs> if you can't smile, don't serve as a greeter. If you don't like children, don't serve in the children's ministry. If you're gifted at teaching, teach. If you're gifted at leading worship, lead worship. If you're gifted at wisdom and discernment, be that, that mentor and that counselor in the life of other people. Hey, if you're gifted with marriage, you need to be encouraging people in their marriages. Maybe helping with re-engaged marriage, maybe leading a Bible fellowship group for young marrieds, okay? It's limitless how the Lord has gifted you. Your responsibility is to discover what that is and to use it. Because if you don't use it, you're not effective. And I want you to see what else. If you don't use your gift, and I don't use my gift, and you don't use your gift, then we don't build up the body of Christ. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. There's two, way that, two ways that a church, is, a church grows. One is that it grows internally, strengthened, right? Picture a child growing into maturity, into adulthood. Grow bigger and stronger and wiser, all those wonderful things. But a church also grows by extension, by expanding, by multiplying. Your job is to discover your gift and to use it in the life of the church so that our church, church would be strengthened and grow, but also expand the kingdom of God so that Christ would fill all things. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If you do, are you using it? And if you're using, at it, using it, are you working actively to get better at it? because it requires work just like any other talent. That's why Steph Curry is as great a basketball player as he is. Because Steph Curry takes over a thousand shots a week in practice. It's part talent and it's part work. And I'm convinced by Paul's writings in the New Testament, it's the same with our spiritual gifts as well. The Holy Spirit has empowered us for acts of service. We should work to get better at those things by using them as well. What's your gift? Where are you serving? How are you serving? Because if you're not, then we're the LA Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. We need your help to build up the church and to extend the kingdom of God on earth. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.